Hello and welcome to Access to Justice. I'm your host, Evan Clark from Kahane Law. Uh, my co-host is Heather Malarick of Merrick Law, and we're joined today by our very special guest, Kim McDonald of McDonald Advisory. Kim is a financial advisor and an insurance advisor with Raymond James Limited. Um, Heather, Kim, how are you? Good, good. I'm kind of weathering out a bit of a cold spell. We're filming this in February, and I had decided that winter was over about a week and a half ago. Um, but I suppose winter isn't quite over with us. So, um, yeah, watching the snow fly and dreaming of spring. How about you, Evan? <laughs> well, I'm actually quite... So, I don't know if you can tell on this, but it is February, and I actually got a little bit of sun. I'm tanned. I went to Mexico for two weeks. I'm quite annoyed because while I was gone... It was supposed to be really cold here, but it was like, I understand it was like 11 above one at some point. Uh -huh. And then I get home and it's minus 20. Like I came home and a snowstorm started. So uh -huh. that's not the way it's supposed to work. I'm a little upset about that. Oh, I'm sorry about your terrible luck having to go on holidays <laughs> and come home to that. <laughs> uh, Kim, how about you? How are you doing? Uh, we're doing pretty good here today. We we weren't sure what we were going to wake up to in the markets uh, now that Russia has uh, sort of poured over into the Ukrainian uh, territory, but uh, markets seem to have priced in a little bit of uh, this turbulence and they're not doing too, too badly. So overall, I think we're doing pretty good. My mood is generally dictated by uh, whether we're making money or not. <laughs> so I think, you know, it, it could be worse today. Good. Good. And uh, speaking of my vacation, I got a little plug for Kim. Kim um, helped my insurance needs for my vacation. Obviously, like right now, we're at the tail end of hopefully, knock on wood, COVID. And Canada still has these testing requirements. And so there's this big risk. I went on vacation with all my family. There's seven of us. A big risk that someone's going to test positive for COVID. And then, and then we'd have to somehow stay in Mexico for another 10 days until they could come home. And so Kim bent over backwards, knocked down the doors of all the insurance providers to like really get it straight what they were providing and got me insured. And I'm claiming on that insurance because two of my kids tested positive and they're still in Mexico with my wife. So Kim, I just can't thank you enough for all the hard work you did before I left my vacation for what was probably a very small, um, payout on that commission <laughs> it's not the money that matters it's that people get the right product and they get what they expect so yes i think it sounds like that all worked out properly and i'm, I'm really happy that you put your travel insurance in place because a lot of people don't think about it yeah it was like i just can't you know when we've got the test results back and there were some positive i was like Oh man. But then I was also like, well, Kim helped me plan for this. And I was like giving Kim virtual high fives in my mind. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. So really appreciate that. Also if you hear some buzzing it's cause like the guys outside my window are blowing snow around. So apologize for that. Now. <laughs> I was on cue. <laughs> <laughs> like, walk, walk right by my window. So uh, just, we'll just wait for that to end for a second. All right, they must be done. Okay. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome 
I don't think it's a secret. This is my favorite guest that we've ever had on. Um, it's my best friend. <laughs> Michael Sommerfeld. Michael Sommerfeld, if you don't already know who he is, he's a clinical social worker, therapist, um, MSW, RCSW. We're going to find out what those mean in a second. He specializes, his favorite area is sex therapy. And um, Mike is well-educated. He was at the U of T where he did some of that education. Um, and he's been all over the place practicing, uh, being mentored by, by uh, you know, people very highly regarded in, in his field. And uh, we met one Sunday, we go to the same church and Mike moved in to the area about, I think it was a week after we moved in and people had helped me move. And so they knew that I had guitars and then they pointed to this guy over there and he said, Hey, that guy is that guy. He, he also plays guitar. You should go talk to him. And I went over there and it was love at first sight. Is that, am I, is that accurate, Mike? Yeah, I think that is accurate. There was this kind of uh, immediate uh, attraction, this immediate draw. And uh, we quickly also, I, I think we also discovered that there were some differences that we had to yeah. navigate and, and figure mm -hmm. out. And uh, I think we have a stronger relationship because we had to figure out those differences. <laughs> That's right. Um, I just thought I would try to make it sound uh, couples therapy-ish. <laughs> Yeah. But you know, it's, it's, you're right. Um, you know, but we found richness in our differences that we found that that enriches our relationship. Yeah. I mean, there's room for two of us in this relationship. Yeah. I mean, we have different tastes in guitars, different favorite guitars, but we enjoy each other's guitars, but we don't purchase the same guitars. Right. And instead of that being something to have conflict about, we found that we just have a larger guitar collection collectively between us. Yeah, and, and just appreciate the difference, right? Yeah. Okay, but not, you know, <laughs> thank you for indulging that. Uh, Mike is a good friend of mine, and, and uh, we enjoy each other's company. But Mike, let's start with what is MSW and what is RCSW, and what are you all about? Oh, yeah. So um, there's a couple straightforward answers in there. So uh, MSW stands for Master of Social Work. So, um, like you said, I went to the University of Toronto, where I studied at the Factor Inwintash Faculty of Social Work, and I got a master's degree there. Uh, prior to that, I was at the University of Lethbridge, um, uh, bachelor's degree in psychology. Uh, so that was kind of my um, education path. Uh, and then uh, in, in social work, uh, so uh, you go through a bit of a process to become a registered social worker. Uh, and then the RCSW um, stands for Registered Clinical Social Worker. And what that is, is just further designation um, that, that says that I was supervised for X amount of time um, uh, focusing on clinical social work, which is, is, is basically psychotherapy. Yeah. So uh, Master of Social Work, Registered Cliner, Clinical Social Worker. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, and, what am I all about? Was that the next? Yeah. Oh, see, that's a, that's a big question. 
I, I think what I'm all about. So this is kind of like my career philosophy, I guess, or maybe even life philosophy or philosophy about human beings. I think, I think what I'm all about. And if you come to my office uh, for therapy, you'll discover that I, I try to take a very, um, like humanistic approach to, to therapy. And so I, I, I assume that I'm working with good people who want good things for themselves and for their loved ones, um, who are trying to find, uh, acceptance and belonging and love, uh, and who, uh, are not trying to sabotage that they actually want it. They're trying to create richness and goodness in their life. And sometimes we just get stuck. And, um, what I do is I, I try to help people understand where their uh, struggles might be and help them move forward out of those places. So that's what I'm all about. <laughs> nice. So um, I suppose then that implies that another option is to start from a place of that your people you're working with are not good people, but you choose to make the assumption they are good people. Yeah, I guess I guess the therapist could be like, uh, these are awful people coming to my office, and uh, if they would just snap out of things, then. Um, but I, I just haven't found that that works very well. <laughs> uh, and and I, I think to take a compassionate, empathetic approach with um, couples uh, or individuals or or anyone, uh, any human being, I think that that uh, it lands a little easier. And I think it's more productive. There's, there's this, there's this great quote by this psychologist named Carl Rogers. He's a hu humanistic um, psychologist. And, and he says, it's an interesting paradox that it's only when I accept myself for exactly as I am, that I have any power to make any change. And uh, I think, I think that quote really kind of uh, embodies what I'm trying to bring to my work, right. Is, is taking people how they are, finding the goodness and the acceptability and the belonging in where they are and, helping them grow and develop from there. Nice. Yeah. So you're kind of a unique guest in that, you know, we're called access to justice and all you're not the first psychologist we've had on, but we've had them on talking in the context of a divorce or, or things of this nature. So I'm not a psychologist. I just don't, uh, right. You're a social worker. I don't want it to get out there that I was claiming to be a psychologist. No, because that's a, you're in big trouble. They yeah. that college comes after you. You're done. Yeah. Capital. Would, yeah. yeah. No, you took a different route, the uh, the social worker route to right. become uh, a therapist, which maybe a lot of maybe people don't know that that option, that route is out there to become a clinical therapist through social work instead of a psychologist. But it yeah. is. And, and there's a few differences, I suppose. But uh, I think essentially we, we do mainly the same thing. Mm -hmm. I actually jotted that down as a question because um, I thought that's something that our listeners might be wondering too. Is there a difference between a um, social worker, a psychologist, you also hear like therapist or counselor, all of those terms kind of used interchangeably. Um, so are there marked differences between those titles, um, those roles? Yeah. Like, so so in, 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 in Alberta, we're just trying to figure it out still, right? Um, so there is the uh, College of Psychologists and uh, so and the College of Social Workers, right? And to call yourself a registered social worker or a uh, registered psychologist, uh, that's legislated, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a, a legal term. Um, and then and then there's also now in Alberta there's a College of Psychotherapists, and uh, it's it's kind of a, a new 
uh, a newer college, right? A, a newer um, organization that the people who aren't psychologists or social workers, like clinical counselors or, or maybe some other professional can belong to that college, right? Uh -huh. um, but uh, th there is some differences with billing, right? So I don't know if, if someone who has a psychotherapist designation uh, can, can bill with like Blue Cross or, or anything like that, but, but um, social workers and psychologists can, right? So I think, I think that's important. When you're looking for a, a therapist and you have insurance coverage, you probably want to find a therapist who can, who can bill that. Mm, okay. And so if you're saying, if, if someone says they're a, a social worker, or they say they're a psychologist, then that says that they're regulated by a governing body and that they have certain educational requirements, practice requirements, I'm guessing, yeah, guidelines right. and rules, stuff like that. Yeah, ethical standards that, they're, that they adhere to, right? Okay. So yeah, absolutely right. I'm not sure if I really understand the difference between social worker and psychologist. Like in my my messed up brain, I'm thinking a psychologist is more like I, I, it's a, obviously this may not be right, but I feel like I would think that they would have more education than a social worker. And I like I don't obviously now yeah. that we're talking, I'm like, oh, like why am I thinking that? I don't understand why I would think that. Well, yeah, and, and Kim, I think what you're touching on is a, um, I think, uh, uh, injustice that social workers have felt uh, uh -huh. for some time, right? So uh, I think in Alberta, to be a psychologist, you need a master's degree in psychology, um, and then to be a member of, of that college. And I, I just think the nature of psychology uh, is um, really kind of focusing on the individual, right? What's going on? In terms of their uh, biology, their cognition, their uh, inner processes, and how that might interact with the world, right? And and to be a uh, to work to to be in the in the role of a therapist as a social worker, you also need a master's degree in, in social work. Um, and I, I think the approach to therapy is just a, just a little bit different. So, like the initial philosophy is that um, yes, the person's uh, internal experience, their thoughts and cognitions and feelings are all important. And they're also influenced by the world around them. Right. And so social work takes more of that approach of uh, someone inside of their environment and how uh, there's kind of like this, um, this, these systems at play uh, that, that might impact someone's behavior or the way they look at the world. Right. Um, psychology. And I'm being very general and I'm sure some psychologists would argue with me, but psychology is more about what's going on with that person. Right. Um, Does that make sense? Well, it's starting to make sense why social is in the name social worker. Like I just, I don't know yeah. what I was thinking before. Well, I think like Mike, can't, can't you be a social worker and not being a, a clinical social worker, so like not offering therapy. Like, I, I think social work isn't isn't social worker kind of a more broad term. Yeah, um, that's right. And and I, and I think sometimes people just equate social work social worker with child welfare, uh, or um, you know, some kind of someone who fills out forms in a hospital or something like that. Uh -huh. uh, and yes, social workers do that, and they do a wonderful job, I'm sure. Uh, I am not that kind of social worker. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, so so it's a broad term. 
And there's a lot of different kind of career uh, paths within social work. And mine just happens to be in, in uh, therapy. Hmm. Why isn't it called social therapy? Social therapist. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mike. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, in terms of like my professional identity, uh, like on paper, I'm a registered clinical social worker. Um, I usually introduce myself as a, as a, as a therapist just because it's easier to, you know, to make sense. Uh, yeah. Everyone knows what that means. Yeah. You might not know what clinical social worker means. Right. But, uh, so let me say a little bit more. So uh, a psychologist has to do what's called an E triple P. So this is a big test at the end of their, uh, education, uh, that allows them to be regulated and call themselves a, 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 a psychologist. So social work is a little bit different when you, there is no, uh, exam at the end of your education. When you're, when you're completed, you can register as a social worker. There's a number of hours you have to have of, of like practice hours before you can do that. Um, but then, uh, to have that clinical designation, there is a big exam. Um, so yeah, so, so there's really kind of almost the same kind of expectations for a master's level psychologist and a master's level, uh, clinical social worker. Nice. So one of the, you, we've established your credentials. You, <laughs> and questioned you thoroughly on them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Um, when, like, as I was, uh, starting to say before we have, you know, usually people know some, something to do with law and deposition, by the way, what's that? Never mind. I thought I was making a clever legal joke, but oh, you might you might have, and I just I'm not that clever. Oh, I just said, is this a deposition? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, this is. You're doing well. Okay, so we often will be like, you know, what are like, what do you wish all your clients knew before they came to see you, or or you know, like, what what are the questions you get asked all the time? And so uh, I put that to you, Mike. Like, what are what are what is some kind of um, you know, information that you wish everybody knew before they even came to see you. Um, if there's anything like that. Yeah. You know, I, I always ask folks if they've been to therapy before. Uh, and the reason I asked that question is to, uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if their expectation of therapy matches what I can offer. Right. Um, and yeah, just to get a sense of how, how they see it. Right. Because, um, people come to therapy for all kinds of different reasons. Um, sorry, Evan, I kind of just lost my train of thought. Could you repeat that question just one more time? Yeah. I'm, I'm asking like, is there, if you could just talk to the entire world right now, which we're not that broad of a reach, but if you could, and all your potential or like new clients that are going to come in and start seeing you. Is there something that you wish that they all knew that you could now tell us? Yeah. So let's say someone came into couples, a couple came into therapy and uh, they say, look, I don't need to be here, but my spouse is the one with the problem. So I'm here because they're here. Yeah. Makes right? sense. Um, and they, they may be quite insistent on that. Right. Uh, the only reason we're here is because this person has a problem. And if they would just, you know, snap out of things, then we would all be happy. And if they would just change, uh, then, then we wouldn't be having these problems. And I think, I think what I would want, uh, every person to know is that, 
um, their own individual personal growth uh, will will uh, improve their relationship, right? And 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 so to th- you know to whatever thing they're trying to figure out in therapy, think of their contribution to it, and uh, be willing to face that. Yeah, be willing to face that. And sometimes that's really hard. That that could be really difficult. Um, but I think it's so important, right, to to realize that that uh, your side is just one perspective, and there's another person uh, who is coming into therapy with you who has their own perspectives, their own thoughts, their own goals and dreams and hopes for the, for their life, um, and to make space for all of that, right, and to not be so um, uh, arrogant, I guess, uh, to to feel like whatever I think is going on is what's going on. Right. There's, there's uh, two or more perspectives and all of those things need attention. Everyone has a part to play. You got it, yeah. <laughs> is there a common reason or sort of set of reasons why couples end up coming to see you? Um, well, there's, yeah, m- many reasons, uh, but I think, probably could boil it down to some themes, right? Uh, so the, the unique uh, function of, of sex therapy, um, and, and just to kind of clarify a little bit, so um, ASECT is the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. It's a mouthful. Um, okay. And uh, I am currently working towards certification through that, through that body. Uh, and, and so uh, I have a supervisor in Edmonton, Dr. Jason Jones, um, who, who is a uh, ASEC certified sex therapy supervisor, um, even more but mouthful. Um, <laughs> so the, the unique thing about sex therapy is, is that it, it can look at um, uh, the, 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 the issues uh, that might come up uh, that are directly related to sex, that it might actually be a sexual issue, right? Um, and if you go to someone who doesn't specialize in sex, they may link it in as uh, maybe a relational issue, right? Where uh, if you would just um, talk to each other more, then um, you might have more sex or, or something like that. I mean, it may be true, um, but also there may be some things that make it uh, uh, more strictly kind of a, a sexual issue. Um, so people come in to see me for sex therapy reasons specifically, right? Where it's about, um, you know, how, how their body works, that, that's, that sort of thing. Um, and then how that might kind of play out relationally and emotionally, et cetera. Um, but I think, I think the more general uh, couples therapy issues are, and, and this is maybe... Um, you may have heard this before that people, you know, people come to therapy, to couples therapy to talk about money, uh, kids, uh, housework and sex. Um, so, and many other things, but that's kind of like the, the big four. Um, and, uh, you know, as I think about this, uh, we, we could be talking about money and disagreements with money and Evan spends too much and, uh, you know, sabotages my savings attempts. And, and, and if we keep it about the content, um, we can only get so far. Um, and, and I think often what we're, what we're bumping into is a different set of values. 
right? So someone has, has had this relationship with money and they've learned to value it this way and someone's learned to value it this way. Um, and I think talking about the values and how someone sees, sees these issues, what it, what it means to them, et cetera, um, that's a, a, it's starting to be a more productive way to, to kind of resolve it, right? Because if it's just about you keep doing it wrong, in my way is the right way, that doesn't go very far. So sorry, Heather, that was a long kind of answer to your question, but um, I, I see people for, uh, a lot of people related to uh, s sexual health concerns um, and then uh, housework, uh, kids, money, um, and then and then like relationship dynamics too, like trying to navigate, uh, you know, power differences in relationships and, and that type of thing. Does that make sense? Uh -huh, uh -huh, absolutely. I'm surprised to hear that because I thought, like, I thought you would just kind of focus on like the one topic, but it sounds like all of these other topics are just organically going to intersect with the, with the issue they're coming you in, coming in to see you for. Yeah. 100%. Um, I mean, let's, let's say that someone, well, this is, this has happened time and time again. Um, let's say someone, uh, comes in, uh, with some difficulty in the sexual realm. Maybe it's a difference in sexual desire. Right. Um, and, and a very kind of stereotypical epidemiology of that is, you know, let's say this person, uh, was raised in a very, um, uh, maybe sexually conservative type of environment, and they've been told messages about sex, they've been told how to feel about sex, when and where um, someone can be sexual, uh, and then they're married, and, and the expectation is just to now feel great about all that. Um, right. And it's, it's a huge adjustment, right? So um, you're right that uh, whatever the presenting issue is, there may be a, a, a life story where like that presenting issue makes a lot of sense given where they are. Fascinating. So, oh, sorry, go ahead, Kim. No, no, you go ahead. I was just going to get into all these, like all the emotions that come along with what he was talking about. Like people would have shame and anger and sadness and all these feelings, like feel, feeling the feels would probably be a really scary thing about like embarking on a journey to come visit you. And uh, that's sort of what my mind was wandering <laughs> towards. Mm. Uh, of um, just just the process of getting into all that, Kim? Like yeah, it, like making the appointment and booking in and like, what is that going to feel like? Like there must, people must be really scared to make that phone call because they don't really know what you're going to be asking and what they're going to have to disclose. Right. Yeah. And, and I feel like part of my role as a therapist um, is to, is to come into a meeting really uh, anticipating that, um, that this is hard for couples, right? It's hard to come and talk about feelings uh, and to talk about their histories and to talk about the intimate details of their life. And, and, um, Part of my part of my role is to really help them feel comfortable with that, right? So to create a space, create an environment where uh, it's okay to feel those feelings. That and and um, my hope is that when they come to my office and they feel the feelings, the message they get back from me is, of course, you're feeling these feelings. It makes perfect sense. It's perfectly normal. Uh, it's 
you know, the fact that you're feeling this is probably a good thing means, means, uh, um, you know, your emotions are working the way that they should. Um, but we want it to be okay to have those emotional experiences and, and they're, they're welcomed and useful in therapy. So how do people go from having problems to ending up in your office? Do you know anything about what that journey typically looks like? Um, that's, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I think, uh, there's, there's three ways that couples get into conflict. Um, and this is, I'm not making this up. This, uh, comes from the work of Dr. Sue Johnson. Uh, she's, she's a Canadian. She's responsible for, uh, emotion focused couples therapy. Um, not to be confused with Sue Johansson, which is the late night sex talk with Sue Johansson. Oh, that's who I was thinking of. I used to listen on the radio, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, How old am I? The radio. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think uh, Sue Johansson, I think uh, I saw her on TV a couple of times. People call in with these wild questions and it was just kind of a, a novelty thing. Um, but Sue, Sue Johnson, she is... Uh, uh, she helped develop emotion-focused couples therapy. Um, and so she focuses a lot about um, what she calls the emotional dance that couples get into, right? Basically, like, what do we do when our uh, in- insecurities are activated? And uh, her research tells us that there's really three ways. So I like to think of this as, as, a, as a junior high dance, right? So... Um, the music's playing, right? Uh, the tacky lights are, you know, shining on the floor. And, and so trying to create an atmosphere where people might ask each other to dance, right? And so on, on one hand, you have someone who's really, really keen and uh, they're trying to pursue somebody, right? They're trying to pursue someone to dance. And it seems like the harder they chase, the more they pursue, the more their dance partner uh, is trying to get out of there. It's really uncomfortable for the, for this person, and they're trying to they're trying to bolt right, and so the faster they go, the stronger this person pursues. Um, and then, then there's this uh, kind of pursue pursue. Um, I don't know if it fits the dance analogy quite as much, but uh, or maybe it's both. Yeah, both people are really trying to uh, start something with the other person. Uh, both people are trying to initiate something, trying to. Uh, maybe trying to lead in a way or bring up their points. Um, and, 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 uh, it's not going anywhere. It's just kind of like this butting heads. They're both trying to dance their own dance and it's, they keep hitting knees and stuff and stepping on each other's toes. Yeah. And like that. Thank you, Evan. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. Nice That's one. a good analogy. Don't give up on it. So we, yeah, I, yeah, I just needed to work it through. Um, <laughs> and, and then there's the, uh, then there's, you know, then there's like the wallflowers, right. Where the music's playing. Uh, it's even a slow song The you know, the lights are flashing. It'd be the perfect time to go and ask someone to dance, but, um, and you even might know who you want to dance with, but both are kind of on opposite ends of the wall of the gym, right? No one wants to make the first move. They and, want to, but they can't, but they just uh, don't. Oh, oh, you know what? They, they, they want to so bad. And, what would make them feel so wonderful is that if, if they didn't have to, and someone else would ask them to dance. Mm. And so, and so those are the three dynamics, um, that lead to, to conflict in couples, right? It's this kind of pursue withdraw, right? Where the harder I pursue information, emotions from you, 
the more uncomfortable you feel and the more you want to move away from that. Uh, and then, um, again, that, that pursue, pursue, where it's just like high conflict all the time. Um, both people want to be understood, uh, and both are kind of one up being all the time to, to be understood. And then, and then there's the kind of avoidance couple, right. That says, look, I know we've got problems, but as long as we don't talk about it, we can, we can get by, right. We can keep, keep moving forward. Look, looks like there's nothing going on here. Um, but over time, uh, like, oh, like those patterns over time, I think is what bring folks to my office. And how does it work? Like, do, do you get people that come to you that are referred by a different psychologist or different therapist, or do they come to you directly? Um, how does it usually work? All of the above. So I have a, um, uh, yeah, so, so I, I, I am, I participate in a number of different kind of like uh, therapist communities, I guess. Uh, uh, and, and so referrals come to me through those avenues. Uh, but then also I have a psychology today, which don't be confused because I'm not a psychologist, but it's just a directory of therapists. Um, uh, and people can look me up, look at my profile and, uh, you know, send me an email or give me a call and make an appointment that way. Um, yeah. So it's, so it's just people reaching out to me, um, either referral from another professional or, uh, finding me on their own. And then the big question I have, and Kim kind of touched on it is like, what does it look like when they actually come to see you? Because I could definitely, um, see Kim's point that it might be terrifying to kind of, uh, you know, schedule something with you and, and for a couple to invite a stranger into, you know, the intimate part of their life. So what, what does it look like when they come in and, and sit down and meet with you? What do you do to kind of, yeah. How do you, how do you do that? Yeah. So, uh, again, I, I think, I think, um, like that, uh, kind of humanistic, um, uh, approach that, that philosophy to therapy is so important in, in creating, uh, this kind of safe space, right. For, for a couple where they might not feel, um, ready to disclose things and, and that's okay. And they can disclose kind of as they feel ready. Um, but I, I, I really take, uh, take a lot of time to communicate to them that, uh, their goals are important to me and, um, you know, yeah, the things that they're trying to get out of therapy are what I want to help them with. Um, and that I'm, uh, coming in, you know, joining them as, as, uh, uh, an ally to their relationship. Right. Um, and, uh, I may have expertise in my own area, uh, but they also have their own expertise in, in living their life. And I want to use their authority for what's going to be the best for them as, as much as possible. Right. So it's not, it's not me kind of prescribing or telling them what I think they should do. Uh, the, the ideal version is us collaborating and, and understanding you know, how the position that they're in makes perfect sense. And, um, you know, trying to brainstorm ideas to kind of move, move out of that, move out of those patterns and, and interactions that they get stuck in. Did that answer your question, Evan? I, I think the, the main, the main idea is, is that I, I, I try to create a, a, a safe environment and, and, you know, when they come and see me for a first appointment, um, 
and maybe a session or two after I'm really kind of in assessment mode. Right. So I, I go kind of back into their histories and I ask about their early attachments and their childhood and trauma and any history with, uh, with, uh, addictions or, or talk about health or mental health and, um, talk about their model of self and, 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 and what they've learned about who they are based on their past experiences. And we just try to build a, a big foundation, uh, for starting in on the couple's work. And, and that foundation is really understanding, uh, and accepting and appreciating who the person is that's, that's in my office. Yes. That does answer the question. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Good. Is there like a mood you set? I'm picturing like dim lights, yeah. like candles, the pan flute maybe playing softly <laughs> to create like an environment where people feel comfortable. I don't know. This is maybe I've seen this on TV or something. Is there like a mood you set for this? Meeting? Yeah, you've got it, Kim. There's uh, <laughs> no, you know, I have, I have this. I'm going to tell you, this is, this is the office that I'm, Right. It's just a, just an office. I think my lunch bag's on the couch. Ignore that, but right, just, a, just an office. So hopefully it's comfortable. Um, cozy, comfortable. Yeah. I have this kind of fantasy of having, uh, you know, an office with a real fireplace one day and maybe a big dog laying by the fire. And, but that's a fantasy. And so until then I just have a regular office. Um, uh, but yeah, like I think, I think what makes people comfortable is 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 when they feel accepted and heard and understood right kind of like i don't know i don't like do any of you have that like favorite aunt or uncle or relative or something that that you just know that whatever you do or whatever you say they think you're all right yeah. and um you know they love you for who you are and and uh you know just assume the best from you right i, th I think i think uh like that type of vibe Right is what I hope uh, clients feel that that they're a, uh, a normal, acceptable human being, and that whatever wherever they are, uh, we can make sense of it and understand it. Um, so uh, yeah, so I think that that's where that comfort comes from. It's it's less about the chairs in my office uh, or the dim lighting or the pan flute, and, and more about um, I think how they're how they're welcomed. Um, so no incense. No, <laughs> there could be, and I'm sure there's some therapists out there who uh, incorporate that. Uh, I can't organize myself to get incense. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I noted something you said earlier, and you said that you're an ally to the relationship. So, um, I mean, sometimes, well, Evan and I see couples, and Kim does as well, sort of on the on the back end of a relationship where they've decided to end things. Um, but sometimes what I hear as feedback from counseling is one person felt like, oh, they were on their side. I went and I just got lectured to, or they didn't go and tell my husband what to do at all, right? That there's this kind of idea that <laughs> you're going to figure out who's doing the wrong thing in the relationship. I've heard loud and clear that's not what you do, but I guess I'm sort of curious about how you provide feedback to the couple or things that they can work on, or if that's something that you even do. Uh, is that a question? I feel like I kind of rambled on there. 
Uh, I'll ramble a bit now. I feel. Well, let me, let me take a stab at it first, Mike, because I, I feel like I've had firsthand experience. I'm not a client of Mike's, but sometimes Mike tests out techniques on me and, uh, or maybe not tests, just uses them for his own pleasure and also for the betterment of our relationship. And usually what he, what I've experienced him doing, and I don't know how much he does this actually in his, uh, I'll let him speak to it in a second is he'll get, he likes to get people talking about it, about how they feel about it and how that makes them feel. So, you know, a good example uh, might be, you know, Esther, my wife will say something to Mike or, and, and his wife will were visiting or something about something annoying I've done or something. And then Mike will say, and how does that make you feel? And then she'll start talking about that and you'll just keep digging down, digging down. And before you know it, you know, she's lying down on the couch. The incense is out and we've gotten somewhere meaningful. Um, is that, is that, I mean, now it's your turn to actually tell us how it actually goes, Mike. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, I think, I think there's a time and place for, for everything. Uh, and, um, Sometimes I can be very directive with clients, right? And, um, you know, say, look, this is, this is what's going on, right? Um, but I have to be very careful with that, right? Because if, if I don't have, um, if, if, if I'm not aligned with, with the couple, uh -huh. um, they're not going to ever come back again, right? Uh -huh. Because someone's going to be mad, uh, uh, or, I mean, if, if, and if I, if I call out a husband for something, uh, sometimes it's, it's, you know, the partner that gets uh, upset and they want to defend their partner. Right. And uh. Uh, so, so to be that directive, I think you've got to be very judicial with, with that. Um, but, but like Evan was saying, right. So, you know, let's say, um, let's say, uh, you, you come to a couples therapist and you're, you're talking about, I don't know, what would be, what would be you know, housework, let's say. Right. And, and, um, it feels unequal with, with you and your, your partner. And you're talking about not just the laundry, but the meaning of the laundry, what the laundry kind of represents and symbolizes for you and the emotions that, that kind of come uh, from that meaning. And if, if we assume that, that you're a, a good person who's not trying to sabotage or deceive anybody and your partner's the same and and your you know your partner witnesses me hearing your concerns about uh laundry validating your concerns um kind of bringing those concerns to a core emotional place where you're expressing really authentic uh tender feelings um my my assumption here is that your partner is also being impacted by that and change is happening without me having to call anybody out on anything. So, so, so just, I, th I think just the process of sharing uh, feelings and emotions and dreams and, and values with each other, um, we gain a greater respect for each other and, and we, we want to change when we know those parts of each other. I think, I think sometimes what we do to protect those really soft parts is we kind of, we, we, we mask them with anger or uh, being annoyed or, or something like that. And those uh, feelings, they don't communicate quite as clearly. Um, and, and so when we don't share those core emotions, uh, I think that's where we get in trouble, right? That, 
uh, it's actually harder for our partners to pick up the meaning and to pick up the significance for us. Does that come down to the definition of a healthy relationship, like good communication? Is that is that kind of the key to it all? Or like, how do you guys define a healthy relationship? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I think this is a changing definition for me. Um, maybe early in my career, I would have, I would have had some like universal maxims of, of what makes a, a healthy relationship. Um, but I don't, I don't, I'm not so hardlined anymore. I, I think, uh, I, I think what makes a healthy relationship is, um, so I'll, I'll explain this, but, but I think, I think that a healthy relationship is an intimate relationship. And, um, and if we define intimacy as the willingness to be known, the willingness to know someone else, um, and, uh, embracing the discomfort that comes with being known or, or finding out who your partner really is when you thought they were different and then making space for each other and each other's differences through communication, through collaboration. Um, that's to me, that's what makes a healthy relationship. Mm. I was kind of wondering if you were going to toss in like, uh, you know, like a number, like how often like couples need to get busy or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, let's get down to brass tacks here, Mike. How often should people be having sex? Uh, what are the secrets to the best sex? Um, just tell us. Yeah. So these are great. These are common questions. Uh, so frequency of sex. So there's a range in the average, like, so first off, when there's a, a, a average range, you know, that it's not, a, it's not a clear answer, right? right. So, so there's a, a range of what's considered healthy, normal, uh, sexual encounters. And that's like, uh, you know, maybe several times a month to, uh, once every six months or something. I'm not, I'm not, uh, representing it, uh, super accurately, but, but there, but there's a, there's a big range, right? Uh, and so frequency, I think, is less important um, uh, than what that what that uh, encounter means to the couple, right? So some some couples might be totally fine to have sex every once in a while, um, uh, because it doesn't it, it, uh, the significance of it kind of allows that, right? And other couples, they they might it might be good for them to have sex more often. Um, because of what it means to them. Right. And, and so to me, the, the, the meaning is what's really important. And, and if it's just about the numbers, uh, then that almost sounds like, like role-based versus intimacy-based, right? So as long as I'm meeting the quota, uh, we're good. Um, but then no one talks about what kind of sex should we be having? Um, what are your, what are your fantasies? What are your kind of hopes and, and, uh, dreams and expectations sexually. What do you want to experience sexually? Those conversations, we don't have to have it if it's just about numbers. Right. So does that answer that question? Is that, am I making sense? Yeah. Well, I think like little girls back in like the nineties were getting teen magazine and it would pop up all the time as like an important topic. And, uh, mm -hmm. I think 
a lot of people out there have a skewed understanding about what is healthy for a couple and what's important because everybody's comparing themselves with other people. Like we all, we all know that there's couples who get divorced and you think, wow, I thought they had a really good relationship. This is surprising to me. Or couples who you think maybe aren't doing so well because they're very vocal with each other and maybe get angry at each other in public. You think maybe they don't have a good relationship, but maybe there's phenomenal. So I think a lot of stuff you're talking about is really interesting to me anyway. And yeah, I think, uh, um, I I think it's interesting too. And, and kind of you reminded me of the second half of Evan's question, um, which was like, what, what makes, um, a healthy sexual relationship? Um, and, and there's there's uh, another Canadian uh, sex therapist, Peggy Kleinplatz. Uh, she's out of the University of Ottawa, um, and she uh, she has focused her career on um, optimal sexuality, right? Op- optimal sexual experiences, um, and uh, you know she she talks a lot about about who is having the, the greatest sex, right? There's a bit of a there's a bit of a belief that young people must be having just like wild, wonderful sex. And uh, her research, um, like, what age range do you? What What do you three think? Like, who's having the greatest sex? Teenagers or the elderly people? Elderly. If I had to pick one of the two categories. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. People who are over sixty, right, are are having are reporting uh, the the most sexual satisfaction. Um, and you know, when you're when you're, you know, uh, over sixty, so we're, we haven't even experienced it yet. Yeah, that's right. We've got a lot to look forward to. A lot to look forward to. But when when you're when you're uh, you know a, a, a young kid and you have a sexual experience, you're probably just grateful to have had that sexual experience, right? You're like, what? like that was awesome. Just the fact that someone was willing to you know to interact with my body in that way. Um, and then when you uh, kind of age and and uh, mature. Um, you can start kind of bringing your heart into it as well. Right. And, and, uh, talking about again, meaning and, um, yeah. So, so anyway, so, so Peggy, uh, would say, right. That, you know, Cosmo magazine will say, uh, these are the 25 best techniques for oral sex. And, um, right. as long as you're, as long as you're doing this, you'll be great in bed and there'll be people lined up to have sex with you. Right. And, um, uh, I remember being in a training where, where, where Peggy said, she's like, yes, it is important to know how to touch people's bodies. Um, but more important, uh, it's important to know how to touch their hearts as well and to touch their, their hearts through uh, a sexual experience. That's what is meaningful. And, um, yeah, that's what creates this optimal sexual experience. Um, not, not just knowing the right move, right. Uh, but what, what would be important, what's connecting to another person and being willing to have those conversations. <laughs> We're all nodding our heads. The listener can't, the listener can't <laughs> hear us nodding our heads, but we all are. Um, okay. So you said that you've got this sort of shifting or, um, evolving uh, definition of a healthy relationship. Is there anything that is a signifier of an unhealthy relationship? Are there any warning signs that, um, you know, you might tell folks, oh, if this is happening, this might be a, a, a hint that you 
want to seek some help in your relationship? Yeah, that, that's a really, that's a great question. And um, uh, that's why, yeah, I, thank you. Cause it, it gets me thinking, um, you know, I, I, I think it starts with a relationship with ourselves, right? And, and do we have a healthy or unhealthy relationship with ourselves, right? And, and to me, what I, what I go to is, um, are we comfortable with our own emotional processes? Do we, do we trust what our emotions are telling us? Um, or are we ashamed of them? Do we try to keep them away? Do we think that we're at our core like if someone really knew us or knew me, would, would they reject me, right? Um, or am I acceptable? If I really showed up for other people, would they, would they uh, appreciate who I am and, um, and, and accept me? And, and so I think, I think that it starts with our relationship with ourself, right? Our model of who we are in, in relation to other people. Because what happens is we take that model of self and we bring it into a relationship. And then we conduct ourselves according to that model. Right. So if at my core, I think I'm um, uh, a horrible person, let's say, uh, does that belief impact how I show up in, in the relationship? If I think I'm horrible at my core, what would change for me in, in my relationship? Right. And I might not do things if I think everything I touch is destroyed or, or something like that. I might I might kind of um, be cautious about how I really jump into the relationship. And so, and so, yeah, so having some, well, I think yeah, learning to have a lot of self-love and compassion uh, and awareness so we can do our own work to, to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. I think that's really important. And that's really, uh, I think, a necessary step for relational health. Um, because when, when we don't have that uh, kind of steadiness with who we are, then we start kind of roping our partner in to give us things that, that, uh, they really can't. Right. And so I think an unhealthy relationship is a relationship where we have maybe unspoken and unrealistic expectations of each other. And then when those expectations are not met, um, uh, you know, there's a range of things that can happen. Um, but we might, we might feel very, uh, maybe contemptuous towards another person or, uh, critical towards them. And, and sometimes the, the tough things we see in a relationship are someone really trying to navigate their own stuff. Right. Right. So, okay. yeah. yeah, it does. I just thought of a time that I had a dream where my husband had done something like really betraying and I woke up and I was angry at him. And I really felt anger. I mean, I didn't express it at him, but I really felt angry at him when I woke up in the morning <laughs> and it just made me realize like how much of there's this internal stuff that goes on in your head because he didn't know about anything that was there and like, but there was some really real feelings, right. Which is quickly dissipated when I realized that none of that, that that was all going on in my head. But it strikes me that that's the kind of thing that can happen with so many in so many relationships, maybe is there just is more and more stuff going on in people's heads that isn't coming out or being expressed. Maybe I, yeah, to totally. And you, you made me think of, there's this psychology phenomenon called the fundamental attribution error. Right. And I think that the meaning is in the name and attribution error. Right. So, um, so it sounds like there was something going on internally for you, Heather, 
where okay. you had this dream and you felt angry. Oh no, I just realized I told a therapist about a dream okay. I had. <laughs> what was I thinking? All right. <laughs> uh, too late now. That genie's out of the bottle, Heather. But, well, I think I, I just just how how normal this is, right? And and then wake up and your husband's sitting or laying right there. Yeah. And it's so easy to direct that anger, like, how could you do this to me? Yeah. Right? When what you what you're uh, identifying, right, is that there's something going on inside of you. And uh, it was a dream and separate from real life, I suppose. But um, those those emotions are just so powerful, right? And uh -huh. it's so easy to say, um, you know, Evan, how could you make me feel this way? Yeah, well, and I saw a reel today um, that was shared with me by my sister-in-law about this. It's like this guy doing all the chores around the house. And it's like all these things about how, how he he cheated on his wife. And so he was doing all these chores, but then it turned out that it was in her dream that he cheated on her. And, uh, so, I mean, it's super common that, that example Heather, that you shared, like I've lived on the other side of that many mornings. It's happened a few times. I'm like, it didn't really happen. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of humorous, but I guess that's an example of uh, you know, that can happen outside of dreams too. Uh -huh. And, and, and when that does happen, right. When we talk about a healthy move, right. Um, is to, is to recognize and validate to make room for someone's emotional experience. Like, you know, if, if we're betrayed by a partner or we're hurt by a partner, of course, that's going to make us feel upset and angry. Right. And we can learn to, to validate that in our partners and they can, provide the same for us uh, and normalizing our, our human emotions, right? Uh -huh. Are there certain couples out there that maybe would find their way to therapy more if they didn't communicate so effectively together? Like, I'm, I guess I'm trying to unpack, like there's people who can solve these problems as a couple on their own. And then there's people who need to go to therapy to have to sort of find that that solution or, or, or just talk through the problem. What skill set is important for couples to have to be able to work through maybe these issues or at least try a little bit on their own before it kind of moves to therapy? Great. Yeah, great question. I think the, the first skill is to develop some self-awareness, right? And, and that's really what we were just talking about, right? That, mm -hmm. that when... Uh, my spouse does something and it activates something in me um, that may have nothing to do with my partner and everything to do with my history or, you know, maybe I've, I've learned throughout my experience that, that, that when this happens, it means something dangerous for me. And then maybe I go into, you know, battle mode or something. Right. So, so that self-awareness is uh, really important, right. That, uh, just being able to communicate, right? Like, um, like when you invited me to this podcast, I felt happy. Um, um, and right. Just, just being able to say like connect, uh, a plus B, right. When this happened, I felt this way. Um, you know, when, when you didn't look at me, when I came home from work, I, I felt like you were ignoring me and I felt ignored so much as, as a child. And so it was really hard, right. And being able to make those connections within yourself, right. Instead of holding your partner accountable for how you feel. Um, and so then, uh, the, the next really important step is 
is to be able to listen. Um, and sometimes, uh, you know, when, when we have problems or we hear our, our partner's problems, um, it's, it's uncomfortable to hear that they're upset. And so we might want to jump in and solve something, uh, or maybe we get defensive and, um, like kind of the classic example that I share is, is one time, you know, relationships have ups and downs and disconnections and, and connections. Um, and one time I, I just communicated to my wife, I said, uh, Hey, I've been feeling a little bit disconnected. And, um, she, she said, well, how's that supposed to make me feel? Can't she like, don't you know how hard I've been trying to help us feel connected? Right. And, and, um, and, and so, so that's kind of a, uh, it became about that, right? Because uh, if we can talk about how hard she's been trying, then we don't have to talk about how I might, how I might be feeling disconnected, right? And does that, does that make sense? Um, she, she'd be okay with me uh, sharing that. Um, uh, but yeah, but uh, yeah, learning. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say in that example, but you're, I think what you're saying is like, you didn't intend to make her feel any way at all. You were sharing what you were feeling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. and me sharing that had all kinds of meaning for her, right. That she Mm -hmm. had to, had to kind of sort through. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and so to really listen, um, we would, we would listen to understand, right. What someone's experience is. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, it's hard work, right. Mm -hmm. That when, when a spouse says, look, I'm feeling, alone in our relationship or I'm feeling disconnected, um, you know, to kind of manage your own experience with that information and just really hear what that person's saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think, I think uh, self-awareness and being able to listen are fundamental skills mm-hmm. in, in relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You heard it here first, Devin. <laughs> we got that's, a lot of truth bombs here. We got the that's secret. That's so hard though. <laughs> Isn't there an easier way? <laughs> yeah, come on, Mike. Well, uh, I think honestly, I think the easiest way is to is to work through it uh, in maybe in the early years of a relationship, um, and that's when I get really directive actually with with, uh, with couples. I might ask like like you asked um, what she was thinking, and do you really want to know, right? Because she wants to tell you, but every time she tells you, you keep cutting her off. Like, do you want to know or not? Right. <laughs> uh, so I sometimes have to put people in, in place, um, but it, it is hard. It is really hard. It sort of makes me feel like there, there's a huge benefit for people doing therapy. Like not everything needs to be solved on your own and you can learn some of these skills or these ideas uh, from going to to visit a professional. Like one of my favorite people's had a lot of therapy and we've learned so much from that experience that it's helped out solve problems down the road that maybe, you know, like could have been big problems, but they just didn't, you know, Mm -hmm. escalate. So like, I'm sort of going down the path of like, you know, there is a stigma around going to therapy and, and maybe people finding out that you're, you're not able to solve something on your own, but it seems to me the benefits are absolutely massive for getting a base level of knowledge. And you've learned that from a professional. Yeah. Right. So someone who, someone who has really looked into uh, relationship dynamics and what makes a relationship uh, work and what doesn't. Um, and, you know, I, I was thinking like the huge benefit for me 
look, I, I'm not immune to, um, uh, to relationship issues. Um, and, and, and the, the reasons that people come to my office, uh, those are things that that's likely are present in my relationships or your relationships. Right. Um, I, I'm so grateful that I, that I, that this is the area of, of study for me, right. Because, uh, I get to think about relationship health all the time and, uh, I've had to kind of work through my own stuff. Right. And, uh, that's normal. That's normal. But I'm just lucky enough to be able to focus on this and listen to podcasts and read books every day about, about this. So it's a privileged position. Um, and yeah, right. Like I, I think, I think that there's benefit, uh, for anyone who wants to just kind of, like you said, Kim, create that baseline for this is how we can operate together. Yeah. Kim, that's a really interesting point. Cause I think even what I've been assuming is that folks are ending up in Michael's office or should only be ending up in Michael's office if they're at a crisis or something has gone wrong, right? <laughs> Something's going terribly. Um, but it sounds to me like, well, I mean, I, I believe in therapy. I think it's a wonderful tool. And that on that journey of self-improvement, there's no reason why any couple wouldn't benefit from, from visiting Michael or someone like him to improve their relationship, even if it's not bad or doesn't have problems. I'm using quotes around all these negative words as I'm saying them. Yeah, I, I, I like I, I love it when um, uh, I, I have couples that come to my office who are in love with each other, right, and who want to strengthen their relationship. Um, and it, I think it's a, a little bit easier to work through these things when there's this feeling of, of, of fondness and connection to each other. Yeah, see more Mike, and then you might not ever have to be Heather's or my clients unless you need a will or something. Yeah. But, you, you know, yeah. We, we talk a lot about divorce in this po podcast and all the legal issues and stuff surrounding that. And we've had um, uh, psychologists come on and talk about that and how what that means for children and how, how you know, they help people through that. And, you know, it, it's on topic that way in that, you know, if people were more likely to come see you when they're starting to see uh, some issues in their relationship, then maybe they can avoid the very costly road of divorce. Yeah, maybe. And uh, I, I, let me just add that, that when I think of success in couples therapy, this is another definition that's changing for me. I used to think, right, uh, if, if I could just like help couples see all the beautiful reasons they should stay together, um, then that's success. But I, I don't see it that way anymore. I think um, success in couples therapy is the ability to be honest with yourself and with the other person and to accept who the other person is. And sometimes that might mean that maybe someone's kind of moving out of their relationship. Maybe maybe a couple wants different things. And um, and I think you can, you can do that in a very uh, connecting, honest way. It doesn't have to be uh, you, don't, you don't have to be out for blood. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I like that definition. That's a, that's uh that does seem to get at the heart of it at the root of it, rather than like, you know, making sure things are patched up so you can live back happily ever after. Yeah. It's all, it's often struck me that, um, couples who are continuing to parent with one another for whatever reason, have a continuing relationship after separation or divorce, um, 
think that through separating, they will escape the communication issues and some of the things that they had when they were together. But in fact, some of those things become even more challenging after a separation or divorce. So I would think that couples counseling can help that even if, if like you said, Michael, it doesn't result in the success of keeping the couple together, but that maybe some of those things can, um, those skills can help then as they transition um, from a, a married couple to an unmarried couple or, or whatever they, whatever their relationship has in store for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I often say like um, even after you're separated or divorced, you're still going to be a family, but it's just organized differently. Mm-hmm. Right? And so just like you said, um, you still have to have a relationship with each other. Yeah had an obscure thought. So we've been approaching this as like a couple's thing, but there are so many people in this world who are not in a couple. They're single, maybe have been single for a long period of time, or maybe they're just single a lot. So do people like those people maybe want to come see somebody like you, but maybe they're thinking that they need to be a couple to come see somebody like you. What is the the scenario? Is there a scenario where a single person would come see you and say like, I just... I'm, I'm striking out a lot. Things aren't working out or I'm alone all the time. And I fear getting into a relationship because I've been alone so much in my life. What, what does that look like? Yeah. Like, um, certainly I see a lot of individuals as well. Um, and, and sometimes the conversation, you know, it, it could be about just that, right? Like, um, why is it that I have these repeated patterns in relationships? And, and so, and so, it, um, self-discovery, um, is a really important part of that. Right. And, and yeah, maybe it's learning to do things different. Maybe it's learning to be okay with yourself and accept yourself, uh, and show up, uh, authentically in, in relationships versus, a, a more of a protected version of that. Right. Um, so yeah, certainly there's lots of, um, uh, lots of value in coming to see a, a relationship therapist uh, as an individual as well. I think like we just can't get out of relationships. We're human beings, right? It's it's what we want to do. It's what we naturally do. And when we're when we're not in relationship with people, we do feel a void. We feel lonely, and um, yeah, we want to belong to others. Nice. Well, uh, we've covered some good ground. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you've uh, been really hoping we would ask you or anything that you want to share that you haven't shared yet, Mike? Um, no, I, I don't think so. I'm, uh, I, I think it's just cool that, that, um, that I've been invited to, to speak with the three of you and um, kind of, you know, I, I, like the, I like the idea of demystifying the legal system uh, and making it accessible um, and, yeah, I think it's hard for, for anybody, lots of people to navigate through all that. And I just think it's great what you're doing, um, trying to trying to make it a little easier for, for folks. So thanks so much. And I, I hope we've been able to demystify a little bit uh, sex therapy and make it more accessible to people. Maybe. I so. Yeah, I hope so. Heather, do you have any uh, closing thoughts or any last questions on your mind? No, I don't. It's just been a real pleasure chatting with you, Michael. And thank you so much for sharing your time and knowledge with us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Of course. Nice to be here. Kim, last chance. 
same as Heather. I, I just, I was like, kind of wasn't sure what the conversation, how it was going to evolve today because I am kind of immature about some topics. And I just thought this was a really comfortable, you know, space today. And I think there's a lot of really interesting things people are going to want to hear from you. Okay. Send them my way. Happy to. Happy yeah, to. We, we didn't even talk about toys or anything. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's another podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. Thanks for coming on, Mike. I really appreciate it. Um, and it, it's been great. I hope that, uh, I hope we've, we've accomplished that goal of, you know, getting, getting the message out there of, of what you offer and that, um, you know, you're a nice guy. You're a nice guy to talk to. Easy to talk to about difficult things. Yeah. I I think, I think, uh, again, the the one thing that I would just want to normalize is that to have issues in a relationship is the most normal human experience. Uh, and when we feel distress in our intimate relationships, it's really scary, right? It's, it's really, it can be really painful. And, um, I think, uh, it can be really great to talk to someone who, uh, to helps you feel like, Oh yeah, this is normal. What I'm going through. A lot of people go through this. I'm not the only one, right? Cause there's not always avenues to, to discuss that. Nice. Well said on that note, this has been another episode of access to justice. Thank you for listening or watching. If you have any questions you'd like us to address on the podcast, send an email to access to justice podcast at gmail.com. That's access number two. And then justice podcast at gmail.com. And we'll do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. Thanks everyone. Any information in this video is general information only and is not, nor is it intended to be legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up-to-date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Kahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Malarick Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Malarick, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or omissions in the content, or for any loss or damage of any kind incurred as a result of any content communicated in this video, whether by Evan Clark, Heather Malarick, or by a third party. Kim McDonald is a financial advisor with Raymond James Limited. Information provided is not a solicitation, and although obtained from sources considered reliable, is not guaranteed. The view and opinions contained in this media are those of Kim McDonald, not Raymond James Limited. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, RJFP, a subsidiary of Raymond James Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. When providing life insurance products, financial advisors are acting as insurance representatives of RJFP. Darkness of the dales dissipates, declines because of he who turned water into wine.